Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. As God's beloved children, ourselves, name and claim, let us open our hearts, our hands, our lives to receive God's grace by unburdening ourselves. Let us humbly make our confession together. We are incredibly stubborn, O Lord. We have entered the season in which your life has been given to the world. Your blessings have been poured out on the world. And yet all we can think about is our own problems, our own needs, our own desires. Help us to desire you, Lord. Help us to yearn for your presence. Pour your baptismal waters over us again, cleansing us from our self-pity and arrogance. Nourish and heal us so that we may joyfully serve you. Wash away our jealousy, greed, and all negative thoughts and behaviors that stand in the way of our truly being the people you have called us to be. Again, let us receive the blessings offered in creation, in the birth and baptism of Jesus, and in the ministry of the saints of light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Will you pray with me? Your word, O God, is a lamp in the night. Help us to see it. Light our way forever. Your word is bread for the hungry. Help us to taste it. Feed our hearts. Your word is like a cord that unites your children here and everywhere. Help us welcome you, each other, and your world. Make ancient words new and lost hopes rise again as you speak the promise to us this day, O Spirit of Truth. The first reading this morning is from Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, and from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Our second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter. It is the baptism of Jesus. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are memorable movie moments, and then there are those scenes that grab you, that in their particular poignancy point you somewhere. One night in 1984, my church youth group joined our pastor to talk about one of the defining flicks of our generation, The Karate Kid. (laughs) Classic story of good versus evil. Martin Cobb's impressive performance as a brutal martial arts teacher made him the Darth Vader of the 80s. A ruthless karate sensei, he imprints his motto, no mercy, on the hearts of his boys, especially his star student, Johnny. Outside of karate class, Johnny's gang of guys taunts Daniel a poor Newark transplant just arrived in sunny California in a beat-up station wagon with his single mom hoping for a new start. Daniel is scrawny and vulnerable, a bruised reed, a dimly burning wick. But he is humble and funny, and a popular girl sees his charm, which sets off a cycle of abuse and bullying by Johnny's friends that nearly kills him. The super at the apartment complex where Danny lives, the Christ-like Mr. Miyagi, a man who had suffered much himself, sees this and agrees to teach Daniel karate for self-protection. Fast forward to the valley-wide competition weeks later in the final championship match between Daniel and Johnny. Despite a teammate of Johnny's badly damaging and bruising Daniel's leg, Daniel is hanging in there with a high tolerance for pain and a will to win. Johnny can't finish him. In the scene that set us teenagers talking, at the time out, Johnny's sensei orders him to return to the mat and sweep the leg. To sweep the leg means Johnny must end this match by breaking Daniel's bone. Cruel and illegal and unethical, Johnny hesitates. You can see it in his face. No mercy, Sensei says. And when his leg breaks, our hearts break too. For mercy is what Daniel and Johnny both most need. Johnny needs someone like Mr. Miyagi, a father, a mentor, who can model mercy and humility for him, not an abusive teacher who violates his humanity. When Johnny breaks Daniel's leg, two bruised reeds are broken. I remember asking my pastor if there are really people like that, sensei, in the world. 
people without compassion. No mercy. Probably the worst advice ever given, but words that undoubtedly began my wheels turning toward the ministry and to the church. There are people like Sensei out there, and I wanted to greet them coming, to point them to a place I understood to be a house of mercy, a home for the broken and needy. That 14-year-old did not change now at 50. I believe that to be human is to be merciful, even as we are merciful despite being human. Moments of nastiness, times of pettiness, those emerge from us all when frustrated or hangry or cornered, we can withhold compassion. When wounded, we can be vindictive. We can demand justice at the cost of mercy, even though they are conjoined companions to be patiently pursued together. When we fail to nourish mercy, to tend and treasure it in our lives, it wanes. That's what the church is for. Tending, growing, giving, living mercy. To be human is to be merciful. If we aren't born with certain psychopathology, mercy is embedded in us. Sadly, some of us are taught to tuck tenderness away and never let it show. And some grow up with people who beat compassion out of them. Even when we cherish that compassion within us, mercy competes with other motivators. Greed, scarcity, a love for power, a, a thirst for vengeance, a fear of failure, a belief that toughness is a virtue, low self-confidence, high expectations that others put upon us, and so much more. Throughout the history of the world and our own histories, our mercy is measured by the surfeit of our selfishness and our desire for dominance. Even the church has the capacity to withhold mercy or be misguided in our application of it. If only we weren't such a messy lot of human beings who would practice what we preach. Mercy is not without complication, and in the pursuit of justice, it may have many shades of gray, as the Catholic cardinals have learned, when multiple parties are wounded and defensive. And that complexity does not diminish its value, but makes it much more precious. Mercy is our calling as God's creatures, God's will for us, and our choice if we are to be whole. For some, mercy is the deepest kind of calling. They see a dimly burning wick from far away and they rush to cup their hands around it. Mother Teresa was an angel of mercy for the poor, sick, and hungry of Calcutta. She set a new definition for compassion. Less glamorous, little-known mercy occurs everywhere where the protectors of bruised reeds live, layered throughout all the losses we bear in life. U.S. Marine Lieutenant Colonel Steve Beck was one of the many military personnel who spent years going to families with loved ones killed in action, remaining with them through the days that followed to help them cope with sadness. He described his job in an interview with Terry Gross about the book Final Salute and to me described the tireless work of mercy. I'm delivering the worst news, he says, that they could possibly hear. What drives me forward is knowing the pain that they're going to go through cannot possibly compare with the minimal pain and discomfort I'm feeling. 
I know that the pain I'm about to cause with this news and my responsibility to America to take care of that family is more important than any discomfort I have. Faith Fowler at Cass Community Service in Detroit stood in this pulpit just a few weeks ago and preached her merciful heart out. First Pres has many angels of mercy in less conspicuous ways, more grinding and giving in a local sense, and also plenty human. You know them, those living compassionately and selfishly day in and day out here at First Pres. Through mission, through pastoral care, through working for dialogue on tough topics, in the passing of the peace, in the pursuit of a warm welcome to everyone who enters this place with no exceptions. Creating liturgy and music and art that makes mercy audible and visible. You are merciful. Last year, when my husband, who has Alzheimer's, was critically ill and was in the ICU, we kept it very quiet. It was a year ago this Sunday. Yet somehow, one of you showed up to walk my dogs that morning just in case we needed a day off. Mercy me, I thought. I see you go to a member's home twice each week to help dye the hair of a woman still proud but too frail to get out of bed anymore for her hair appointments. I've seen you open your homes to family members of hospital patients at U of M and the VA, going to have a meal with them so that they can have respite. You've made sure an old street person in tattered clothes got the best seat on Christmas Eve and left with your winter coat. When an usher lost his son-in-law in an ATV accident down in Louisiana weeks ago, leaving three children behind just weeks before Christmas, other ushers quietly sprung into action to send the widow a large financial gift so that the boys would have some extra special presents on Christmas. Shirley Burgoyne died recently. Many of you would know her. She was a longtime member of the church and orchestra. Shirley enjoyed deep friendships, many that she lost because of her tough demeanor and lack of a filter. Shirley was prickly. Jerry Lacrone would know this. Shirley was prickly, and she could be in your face if she disagreed with you, and her house was a mess. But in the words of her son, she had a deep desire and an unwavering ability to take in strays. Folks who were on their own with no place to go ended up at her house. She could spot a cast-off a mile away and bring them home. Despite her rough edges, she moved towards the marginalized and opened doors for the oppressed. As an attorney, she took the key case in Michigan all the way to the Supreme Court of Michigan, which ruled that being in a same-gender relationship was no grounds to take someone's children away from them. Every bruised reed, even whole fields of them, she would nurse back to health I bet her middle name was Mercy. Surely, and you, and me, we are all modeling the mercy of Jesus, who Isaiah introduces to us in, as God's suffering servant. Now, Isaiah's prophecies have particular theological histories, but we find Jesus in them. Whether this enigmatic one described in the four servant songs of Isaiah is one ruler or several people or a whole nation, we read it as the prophecy fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, the baby who, at warp speed, just two weeks after we cupped our candles to welcome him, is now 30 years old and being baptized and commissioned and sent off for ministry. 
named and claimed by the Holy Spirit, drawn out of the water by the human hands of his cousin, Jesus fully moves into his calling. Location that was clear, the ministry he would inhabit until his death was revealed to him in part through the prophecies of Isaiah that he had read as a boy. But Isaiah sharpens our vision, too, to see that the waters rolling off Jesus' skin as he came up from the Jordan River, as the heavens were opened, were waters of mercy, of justice, of humility. Hearing Isaiah's prophecy and watching it unfold before us, we come to know whom God will send. God will send us merciful people who will pursue justice, especially for those in prisons of their own making or of societies. God's chosen ones will bring light into darkness. They'll open the eyes and hearts to see bigotry and hatred, and they'll work to end it. Their cause of compassion will be done without shouting, without breaking, without fainting, until all is done can't help but contrast this with the current models of leadership in this world of ours. Shouts and threats and taunts and tweets are the new way of dialogue. Treaties are broken. Tortures used to interrogate. Braggadocious words do not mask a lack of imagination, an absence of empathy, and soulless self-centeredness. If employment rises and our personal fortunes are up, we'll let mercy fall. But our communities and families are changed. Did you know there's a movement in this country to do away with the mercy rule in sports? Parents and coaches now say that the mercy rule, which, allows, which does not allow some to run up the score, to protect civility, to keep kids from shame or humiliation, they say it accel accelerates the wussification of America. They argue the mercy rule, mercy, does not allow kids to learn that failure is a part of life, puts a stigma on losing, undermines the spirit of competition. To be merciful is to be wussy. The church has to stand up for mercy. God chose servants who were merciful and makes us merciful too. And then our bright, beautiful, boundless God sets about enlarging our capacity for mercy and expanding our ideas and boundaries around it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, we say together, the 23rd Psalm, and just about every memorial service. Ed Searcy writes that the word for follow in the Hebrew is actually the word pursue. Mercy shall pursue you all of your life. Mercy is the means that will seek you out. It pursues lost souls and lost congregations. It's close on our heels. Its breath is on our necks. Mercy does not happen by chance but by choice, and we are empowered by the Spirit to choose to turn around and greet it with open arms. Deacons and elders and Stephen ministers and you, Peggy and Bill and Carol and Ginny and Jane, Sean, you are called to bruised reeds and dim wicks even when you are them. God needs your wisdom, your faith, your tenacious unyielding to all that would distract or misempower you. Beyond baptism, Jesus did that. Beyond our baptisms, we are called to the creative cultivation of mercy in our contemporary and complicated world.
Mercy was never easy or simple or straightforward, and mercy can be very murky at times. I learned that from old Yeller. We live in a world with what is called mercy killings. How does the church define mercy and euthanasia? One in ten people are living with dementia. What is mercy for them? Celine resident Jim Manji, whose wife has Alzheimer's, spoke um, to many of us at church this week, and he talked about mercy for those with dementia. For months, when his wife asked him about her deceased sister, he'd speak the truth. She died. And after months of inflicting fresh grief on her, every time she asked, mercy morphed into a new answer. She's traveling. Ah, good, she'd respond. When one of our widowed members in a memory care unit asked the aide when his wife would be coming, she smiled and she said tomorrow, sparing him the pain of losing her again and again. That is some mercy. That is some mucky, mucky mercy. Palliative and hospice care, withholding treatment or nourishment so that someone who wants to die, who's ready to die, can die, is merciful. Death itself can be merciful. Lying can be merciful. That's the muck of mercy. Now Jesus comes out of the water, rises up, newly baptized from the waters of the Jordan, and he enters his own ministry saturated with the vision of Isaiah that was bequeathed to him, a vision of leadership guided by mercy. Murky or not, deacons, this is our calling to a mercy that knows no bounds. Jesus came up from the water. You will come up from these steps. You will hear your name. You will feel the Spirit blow on you and claim you right over your faces, and you're going to get out on the mat of our community to work for compassion. Your legs will not be broken, but your hearts probably will. Do mercy anyway. Let that be your rule. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.